these great promises about his return. But, but in light of his return, as we're thinking about his return, I love those questions because the questions are, are you loving people right now? Are you, are you engaged with the world around you right now? Are you loving people in your family now? Are you loving and serving people? Are you humble? Are you arrogant? And, and that's really how we want to approach this series is, is an eye towards what is to come, yes, but it's given to us to think about those things that are coming to impact the way that we live today, right now. That's what we are heading into. And Jesus has given us all kinds of promises about his return. Do you know that? I mean, he said all kinds of things about his return. Some of the things that he said about his return when he returns is that all wrongs will be made right. Aren't you glad about that? That there will finally be justice. Where you see injustice everywhere in our world today, there will be justice because he is the great just God, okay? And he's going to set all things straight. He said things like uh, that those who have, of us who have trusted in Christ, that we will be able to enter into his presence and live with him with uninterrupted fellowship through all eternity. Isn't that amazing? When you think about being with Jesus from here throughout eternity, never to be separated from him ever again. And in that place, he said, there's not going to be any more sin. And I want you to think about sin in our world and how it impacts you today and how it impacts our families and the brokenness in our world. There will be no more sin. There will be no more sorrow, he said. No more pain. Some of you are in great pain in your life emotionally or spiritually or even physically. No more pain. There will be no more sickness and dying. There will be no more need for blood drives. There will be no more of a need for, for getting DNA swabs for bone marrow transplants. There won't be any more little children who are getting sick and, and our loved ones who are getting sick. That's the kind of place that he promises for us. Isn't that amazing? When you start thinking about that and you have that in mind, no more tears, no more death, no more sorrow. And then he's promised this. Did you know that he's promised that you and I, we are going to have, if you're in Jesus Christ, you're going to get a brand new body. Are you excited about that? I think as the older I get, the more excited about that I am, okay? Are you with me in that? You're going to get a brand new body, a glorified body that's going to be like Jesus in the body that he had after his resurrection. And now here I think is going to be the most incredible thing. And we're going to get to see Jesus. You're going to get to see Jesus. Where now it's just our, our faith and, you know, and, but you're going to see him. You're going to lay eyes and, and, and on Jesus. And I love what, what John writes about this. You can start turning in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians, okay? 1 Thessalonians. But let me give you a few promises that you're given about studying this and what this means in your life. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, John writes, Dear friends, we are already God's children. So you're a child of God if you're in Jesus Christ. But he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, he says. For we will see him as he really is. And all who have this, now read it with me, what does it say? This eager expectation. You're anticipating, you're longing for the return of Jesus Christ. What does he say? When we, when we have that mindset, we will keep the, they will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. So he said, so as believers, we're to be eager for his return. But you're also to be engaged with the world around you. 
you, you, you're to be engaged. And, and then he gives a promise. Listen to this promise of reward. When you are longing for the, the appearing of Christ, there's a reward that is given. Paul talks about this in 2 Timothy as Paul was nearing the end of his life. Paul writes this, and now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, now watch this, will give me on the day of his, what does it say, church? Return. He'll give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me. Now, I want to invite you to say this out loud with me. Let's read it aloud together. But for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Are you looking forward to the return of Christ? There's a reward that comes with that. There's a crown of righteousness Paul talks about that comes with that, this, this prize that comes. And, and last or two weeks ago, whenever I spoke and, and, and introed this series, we looked at the first chapter of Revelation, and there it said, when you study these things that, 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 the, that we know are called eschatology, and remember, don't let that word intimidate you, it's just a study of end, end times. It's a study of last things that there's a blessing that is attached to it whenever you study these things. And there's blessing there that Jesus promises. So think about this with me. There are all these promises. There's blessing attached to it. There's a promise of reward. But let's just be honest, and I'm going to be really honest with you. There have been a lot of times in my life where if I'm totally honest with you, I have given very little thought to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I'm just going to shoot straight with you. There are times where I can get so wrapped up and consumed with my life right now and my, my problems that I have right now and the things that are happening in my life right now that I can, if I, just being honest, I can think very little about the things to come. And I just want to tell you that I think that our enemy, Satan, has been masterful at distracting the church today from, from contemplating all the meaning of what it is whenever we talk about these last things. You know, um, I, I can get captivated by the world right now, if I'm honest, and, and, and the empty promises that the world offers. We can, we can easily get captivated by that. Or we can be so caught up with all the stresses and the worries of our life right now that what ends up happening is we get very discouraged. And then we're just kind of wallowing in our discouragement and we're wondering if this is all that there really is. We get really discouraged. And so, and so listen, I'm preaching to myself as much as to you today about it's really important when we study these last things, it's not given just to give you a bunch of information about the end times, all right, just so you have information. When God talks about these things in his word, there is a point behind it. And you're going to see this today. Every time where he would see believers who would be discouraged, he would give them perspective by pointing them to things that are to come. Because here's what we know. There's a lot of suffering that happens in this world today. And some of you are suffering today. And so God gives hope by pointing us to some of these things to come. He gives perspective. He gives encouragement, okay? And sometimes we live like, like the return of Christ is so far away that it has nothing to do with us right now. And I want to show you that that's just not the case. I want to begin by encouraging us. This series is supposed to be really practical for us today. It's supposed to be something that impacts the way that I live today, how I treat my family today, how I, how I go through problems in my life today, and there's a blessing that's attached to it whenever I study these things. I'm going to be rewarded by Jesus Christ himself as I, as I diligently dig in. But when you study last things, 
It's very important, and this is the approach that, that we, your leaders, have, your pastors have. When you study last things, there's something, this won't be up on the screen, but this is a good thing to write down. It's important that you approach last things with balance. That's the word. That you approach it with balance. Okay, and so we approach it with balance. It's balance in how we study future things of God and then how we put them into practical application for our lives today. You know, how does it impact how we begin to look more like Christ today? Because some people, you know, uh, don't study it at all and we don't look at it at all because we just maybe there's all kinds of reasons for that. And, and you know, we just get, get consumed with our life today and so we don't ever study it at all. But on the flip side, on the flip side, there's some who, who really, they're so involved in all the speculation and all the things that they can be consumed with trying to decipher every single detail of some of the things that maybe we just don't have answers to yet. And so you get caught up and wrapped up in all the speculation that they're missing people that God is putting in their path, people they are to love right now. And today, so we approach this with balance. You want to understand and begin to dig into some of those things, but you also want to let it impact and transform your life for Jesus Christ today and how you relate to people around you. Just like Pastor Randy talked about that translation and transformation he talked about last week, okay? So as we live our lives today, we're gonna, our goal as your pastors is to do this with balance with you. It's to point you to future things, but to say, let's engage the world now. Let's engage right now, living moment by moment with Christ right now with the people that he's placed in our lives. So here is the bottom line, church. Jesus Christ tells us he is coming back. Do you believe that? He said that he is. Jesus promised this to his church. He promised the return of Jesus Christ. So we want you to be ready for that. Now, before I go any further, I have to just interject something personally, okay? I want to just say a big, gigantic thank you to my church family for supporting me and loving me uh, as I ran a race this past week. You guys supported me. Many of you sent me texts. Some of you prayed for me. Some of you were praying for me in service. By this time last week, I was already done with the race. But people in the first service were praying for me, and I, need, I felt those prayers. I just want to say I love getting to be a pastor here. This is the greatest place to get to be a pastor is with people who love you and support you, and you support my family, and I'm so thankful for that. I, don't, I want to be sure I don't miss an opportunity to say thank you to you, okay, and, and for your support. So uh, some of you don't know what was going on. Well, last week I ran the Houston Marathon, and I was attempting to qualify for the Boston Marathon, and uh, I finished the race, okay? There's a picture of me and my family there at the end of the race. My son didn't get to go because he had to work. He's bummed he missed out on that, okay? And we missed him. But here's the deal. I got to tell you, I did qualify, okay? So I'm letting you know. Now, what that means, and I need your prayers here, all right? And, and uh, what that means is that I get to submit for application in September when it comes up. I'm not guaranteed in. I'm still kind of on the bubble, so I need my church family praying for me, all right? So you keep praying for me, and hopefully I will get in to 2017's race. I won't run this year's. It's that far backed up, but I qualified, and I'm so thankful, and thankful to Pastor Randy and our staff who just encouraged me to kind of chase after one of my personal goals, and I love that, and I love that we get to do that. Thank you also, church, for encouraging me to be healthy. 
Because there was a long period of time in this church where I was not very healthy, physically or even emotionally, okay, as I was battling with that. Thank you for encouraging me to enjoy life and some of these things in life. And some of you are like, how is running 26.2 miles enjoying life? You are weird, okay? And, and I would agree with you in that. I don't know why so much I like it, but I just love it, okay? I love that I get to do that. If you've been around for more than five years here at EBC, you know that my hobby used to be cheeseburgers, okay? And uh, now I run so I can eat cheeseburgers, okay? It's awesome. And, uh, but, but, but some of you uh, have called me Pastor Gump. Kyle came up with this a while back, okay? Because you see me all, all over town running, okay? And, uh, and that's one of the things that I love to do. And, uh, but just thank you for, for doing that. Now, here's the deal. While I was running my race last week, this is how we pastors think, I was running my race I was enjoying it, man. I was riding, just really just thriving in this race, having the best race of my life, personal record, okay? As I'm going along and I'm sitting here thinking, one, about all of you who are worshiping this morning, uh, on that morning, but I was thinking, this race I'm running is an incredible sermon illustration. That's how we preachers think. I was like, man, this is so much like life. What I'm going through, this race I'm running right now, it, why? Because it's a journey, and it starts off, and I'm running my race, and there are all these people running this on this journey with me. And you know what I found? Yes, there's competitiveness out there, but you know what I found with runners there? There's a camaraderie, right, Carol? Where, where if I see someone struggling along the way, I'm like, come on, you got it. Come on, you keep going. Don't quit. Don't give up. It's not like, ha, ha, or whatever, you know, unless you're cold-blooded, man. And uh, I'm not pushing people down, you know. Um, I thought about that with the Ethiopians, you know, but they're really fast and they're way, they finish an hour ahead of everybody. And, uh, and, and so, but, but as you're going along, you're running with people, you're doing life with people, you're running your marathon, your race. You know what else I saw? There was a great cloud of witnesses all along the streets that I was running. And they were cheering us on and they were encouraging us and they were saying, you got this, don't give up, keep running your race, right? Scripture talks about a cloud of witnesses that's encouraging you as you're running your race. It's this incredible journey. There were over 250,000 spectators all along that street. The one that I'm hoping to run next year, there are over a million people that are cheering you on. ESPN was there last week, man. I was trying to get on there. You know, uh, and, and it, you know, so there was this crowd of witnesses cheering people on. So there were these jubilant times, mostly at the first, okay? And you're going through and you're just soaking it all in, this incredible experience on this journey. But, but let me just tell you, this is how I know that this is so much like life because it got really hard. We started going up some hills and I'd had an injury earlier in the year to one of my knees and whenever I went down the hill, I kind of tweaked my knee, and so at mile 14, from then mile 14 on, my knee hurt the whole time, and I'm just kind of limping along, but it was interesting because my wife and my daughter, and, and right after I hurt myself, and my sister-in-law, Linda, were at mile 14, and I saw them, and they cheered me on, and it kept me going, you know, and, and so I'm running, but I'm hurting, and I'm starting to suffer a little bit, and, and you know, it's getting hard going up some of the hills, and cardiovascularly, I'm fine. It's your body starts breaking down some and you start aching and hurting. And, and, and whenever you get around mile 20, they say about a marathon, you, you, the first 20 miles is the first half. The second half is the last six. And that's true. 
because your body starts falling apart a little bit, you know, when you're, when you're old like me. And, and when I hit mile 22, I was praying for the return of Jesus Christ. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Get me out of this. But I got to tell you, as I was going along, I was just going, I I had this in mind, this end. I had this finish line. The end was in my mind. I can get there. You're going to do that. You keep pressing through, you know. And finally, I finished the race. I finished the race, and it was such a, just a time of great joy when I crossed that line. And you know what there was? There was relief because I could quit running. And that sorrow was gone. And I got to tell you, I'm being honest, I kind of welled, I welled up with just, just tears of joy because I've been working so hard for the last few years to get to this point. And, and, I, and I achieved that. And, and then as you pass through kind of this, uh, this, it's like they're herding cattle through there, you get through there and you know who was there in the reunion hall? My family. And we had this great reunion. This was incredible. I had a reunion with my family and it was all worth it. And you know what? My, my mom and my dad were there and my wife and my sister-in-law and my, my daughter, Luke, didn't get to be here. It's a bummer. I wish he was there, okay? But here's the deal. This was powerful too. My dad, he put his arms around me and he said, well done, son, because he knows how hard I've worked for this. You finished your race and don't think as a preacher that didn't go ding in my mind, right? You finished your race. Well done. I think there's a picture of me and my dad here. Uh, it, did you already show it? He already showed it, okay? And there we are there. And, you know, that was just an incredible time. And, and, and here's the thing. I, when I cross this, and I think it's why I like running like this in races like this so much because it just reminds me so much of life. So I was running this race. And let me say this to you today. You are running a race too right now. You're in your race, and some of you right now, it is a jubilant time, and you're enjoying the race right now, and you're getting encouraged, and people are cheering you on. And let me just say that, those of you who are experiencing that right now, you need to take that in and be thankful to God for that. And then there are some of you who are at a different part of your race, and maybe you're a little bit injured. Maybe you're a little bit you know, you're hurting a little bit in some kind of way. It could be physically, it could be emotionally, it could be spiritually. You're a little beat up for some reason and you're just just, just kind of consumed in that pain. Just as I was running at that, that 20 second mile, I was like, I don't think I can do this. But you gotta have the end in mind. And that's, that's the whole difference with this, okay? You need to know this, that there is, as you're dinged up right now and hurting right now, you need to know this, that there is a glorious finish line ahead for you. There is a glorious line, and Jesus Christ himself is there waiting for you. And he is eager to put that that medal, so to speak, around your neck. And he is eager to wrap his arms around you. And he is eager to say to you, well done, daughter. Well done, son. You finished your race. See, when you know that, you know what? That's what kept me going. That's what kept me running in that race whenever I was really hurting and I just didn't think I could anymore. It's like kind of like you just, you're like, I'm just going to run the rest of this in faith. 
And I'm going to do my best just to keep putting one foot in front of the other. And that's what you do right now. You just got to know there's a glorious finish line ahead of you. All right. A glorious finish line that's out ahead of you. And and, and you're going to you're going to not only experience him wrapping his arms around you, but those of you who have had loved ones who are in Jesus Christ, who have gone on ahead of you. How many of you have lost a loved one and, and they were in Christ? They knew Jesus. Raise your hands up. And here's the great thing. You're going to see them again. Amen. You're going to be with them again. You're going to be a, able to have a great reunion with them again is the promises that we get out of this. So I want to discuss with you for a few moments as we've been in this series on last things. I want to discuss with you, and we're talking about the end of the race here. I want to discuss with you a key event that I believe will impact every believer and non-believer. The Bible speaks of a key event in a day where millions upon millions of those who are believers will be extracted in an instant. And the great event that I'm talking about is called the catching away of the church. Some of you know this as the rapture of the church. And so I want to invite you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where Paul describes this event. And now I want to say up front that, that the approach that I come at with end times is one with balance. But I also approach it from what is called a pre-millennial viewpoint. And again, don't let that word intimidate, intimidate you. Here's what it simply means, is that it's, it's, it's those who view the return of Jesus Christ prior to what is called the, the thousand-year millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ, okay? So I am what is called a pre-millennialist, okay? And this is my conviction that I have drawn from Scripture. So that's the point of view that I preach from and teach from. Now, if you disagree with me a little bit, that's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm okay being in fellowship with brothers and sisters who maybe see it a little bit different. That's fine, okay? There's no big deal about that. I am not an astute theological scholar, all right? I am, I am a, a simple everyday pastor. But I do want you to know that there are many solid, very faithful men and women of God who also hold this view um, that I do. And many of them have had great influence in my life. And so I'll just, and I'm not talking about personally uh, in the sense that I know them personally, but from some of many of their teachings uh, some of these, I'll just give some names for those of you who are believers, and if you're kind of wondering who other premillennialists are who may be pre-trib or maybe some are what are called post-trib, I'll explain that in, a, in just a minute, okay? So hold on. Um, some of you know what that means. Some of you don't, but you're going to in just a moment, okay? Um, guys like uh, Dr. Chuck Swindoll, uh, Charles Stanley, John MacArthur, Dr. Jack Graham, Dr. Robert Jeffers, Tony Evans, Kay Arthur is an, she's an, an, just an amazing Bible teacher, okay? Um, uh, Billy Graham, David Jeremiah, Dr. Tommy Nelson up at Denton Bible Church, John Piper. Now, Piper has a little different view on when the rapture occurs, as, as some of these do, but here's the deal. They're all premillennialists as I am. Okay, so I'm just got, kind of giving you an idea of who's in that camp. So you go check it out for yourself. That's important for you to check it out for yourself. But I also want to say this, that there are some incredibly smart spiritual giants in my eyes who also hold a different viewpoint about some of the order and the sequence of some of these events. But more than anything, I just want to acknowledge up front that if we disagree on some of the finer details we certainly all agree on the main detail, and here's what it is. Jesus Christ is coming back, and he has said that he is. 
okay? So let me say my approach is an approach out of conviction of what I find in Scripture, but I also, I want to be really clear about this. My approach is one with humility. I don't want to be arrogant like I think I know all this and got all this figured out because I want you to know there are some things that are still very, very mysterious to me. Okay? And it's okay. Our God is much bigger than our way of thinking about things, folks. Right? Didn't he say in Isaiah that his ways are higher than our ways? And he is so much grander than... And so I approach with humility. I approach with respect for those who might see things a little bit differently. Isn't that one of the great things that, about getting to live in America is you can think differently about things, right? People paid for us to get to do that with their blood. And, and one of the great things that I hope you experience here at EBC is that you, we encourage you to think. Check out some of the things I'm talking about. And if you disagree with me about some of the things, it's okay. It's all right. I'm not the end-all, be-all. God's word is. That's what matters. And so in our statement of faith, what we say is in the essentials, we have unity. What is the essential? Jesus Christ is coming back. In the non-essentials, we have liberty or there's freedom to, for you to kind of really express. Maybe you see it a little bit differently there. There's liberty. But in all beliefs, we show love and respect or what we say is we show charity, okay? We show charity. The essential is the return of Christ. But I want to talk from my perspective about uh, one of the key events that I believe surrounds this key event of the return of Christ. So let me just show you just a very quick diagram. I'm not going to put up all these charts and all kinds of stuff as some guys do. That's just not me. Okay, but I do think it's helpful whenever you look at kind of a, a chart, so to speak, or a diagram that I want you to understand kind of the viewpoint of a premillennial view. Okay, and so what you have first from a premillennial view is you have the, the first coming of Jesus Christ. This is the incarnation of Christ, where Christ came, he lived as a man, became a man, walked as a man, died on the cross, redeemed us from our sins, paid the price for our sin, and was resurrected from the grave. We all agree that that happened, right? Right? He all, he came for us. 50 days after uh, his, uh, 50 days after his ascension, or after his resurrection, I should say, there was a day that was called the day of Pentecost, and that is when the church was born. That is when the church came into existence, and we've been in existence for over 2,000 years now. The church was called the mystery of God in other places. It's fantastic when you dig in on that, okay? And so the church was born. Now, what is next is a sequence of events that I want to talk about today is called, this would be a pre-trib pre-tribulation rapture, and all that means, notice the arrow goes kind of partially down and then back up. Okay, all that means is that Christ is snatching away his church and taking them back with him to heaven during what is called the tribulation time. I'm going to do a message on the tribulation coming up, okay? During that seven-year tribulation that we find in the book of Revelation as well as in the book of Daniel. Now, some hold a different view, and that's okay. Um, some say, no, it's not at the beginning. It's at the end of the tribulation period. I got to just tell you, I don't care when it is. All right. Um, I just know this, that he talks about this. And here is the thing. I lean more towards the first one. But here is what I want to say about that. If, if it is the first one, we praise God that we're going to miss that time of tribulation that is going to be unlike anything we have ever laid eyes on before. It is going to be a terrible time, a terrible time of suffering. OK, suffering unlike what we see even today. It's going to make what we see today look like child's play. 
right? So here is what I know, is that if it's not pre-tribulation, it's post-tribulation, here's what I say, we're going to suffer for Jesus Christ. And what I would say is that we should be prepared for that as well. So whether we get, we should praise him if we escape that, but we should also be prepared and we will suffer for him, right? And never recant our faith during that time. The bottom line is what is next is the return of Jesus Christ, where he sets all things straight. And then there's a thousand-year millennial kingdom. At the end of the thousand-year millennial kingdom, there is what is called the great white throne judgment. That is the judgment for those who are unbelievers. And after the great white throne judgment, there is what is called the eternal state where God sets up the new heavens and a new earth. Okay, the new heavens and the new earth. There's a, that's what he does in the eternal state there. So that's just, just kind of a quick overview of what is a premillennialist thought, okay? And the thought that I'm coming from. So when you look at this, Christ carries out promises and he gives promises that he's gonna carry out for the church. Do you remember what some of those promises are? Well, in John chapter 14, we'll come to 1 Thessalonians in a second. Some of the promises is, and here's what you're gonna find. You're gonna find that there were believers who would get discouraged, like some of you are today. Or maybe they're just kind of beat up by the world around them and they're disappointed or they're in despair. Jesus would always attach something regarding his second coming and the great victory that is to come to give them a sense of hope where they are right now. So his disciples were greatly troubled by the fact that he was going to be going to the cross and and he was telling them, I'm going to die on the cross. They didn't like to hear that. Because in their mind, it was supposed to be different. The kingdom was going to be set up in a different kind of way. You're the Messiah. You're not supposed to suffer. Jesus said, no, I'm going to die on that cross. You're going to see, but I'm going to be raised from the dead. They were in despair about this. So Jesus is going to comfort them. And, And some of you, you're looking at your life and you're saying, man, things have turned out not the way I thought they would turn out. And you're discouraged about that. Listen to these words and let these words comfort you the way that they did the disciples then. They're just as much for you as they were for them. Listen to this. Jesus says in John 14, don't let your hearts be, say it with me, church, what? Troubled. Trust in God. So when you're discouraged, where should your heart be? It should begin to move towards faith and trust in who he is, who he is, not what your circumstances say. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more. Now he's going to begin to turn towards the future. There is more than enough room in my father's house or in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? In other words, I've told you I'm going to get things ready. I'm going to get things ready for you. And now look at what he says. When everything is ready, look at the promise. And I want you to read it with me out loud, church. Say it with me. I will come and get you. Aren't you glad about that? He said, I'm coming back for you. I'm going to come and get you. And now I love this. So that you will always be with me where I am. You think that might do something to dispel your discouragement? (laughs) Being in the very presence of Jesus Christ himself. 
These were words of encouragement to the disciples, and they understood them in kind of a general way, but they didn't quite comprehend all that was yet to happen. That which would later be revealed through the Holy Spirit, inspiring Paul to write these words to the church at Thessalonica, and, the, and we believe the very breath of God was on the pages as Paul wrote this, and it's in the infallible word of God. Now, when Paul wrote this letter to these Thessalonian believers, they also were discouraged. They were very discouraged. Now, their discouragement was kind of different. They were struggling with a lot of the same questions that we wrestle with today. But they, they believed the Lord was coming back, but they didn't, have, uh, they didn't quite understand anything about it. It was just kind of a general idea. And one of the things that deeply troubled them was they had believers uh, who were loved ones of theirs who died. And they were like, okay, so he's going to come back. Are, are, they, are they just out of luck? Are they going to miss it because they're dead and they're in the grave? So they were in despair. They were discouraged about this. Some of them were probably panicked about it. What's going to happen to my loved one that just died, you know, as we're, we're waiting the imminent return of Christ? And, and, and so Paul, is. their thinking was, if Jesus returns, we're going to meet him in the, in the heavens, but will they be there or did they just miss out? And so Paul is going to give them not only some detailed chronology of events here, but he's going to begin to give them an explanation to some practical questions that they have. So Paul writes, take some notes here, I encourage you to, first of all, to dispel the ignorance of those believers. He writes to dispel the the believers' ignorance. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, Paul writes this and he says, but we do not want you to be, what's the word, believers, uninformed. Another word in your translation that some of you have would be ignorant. And he's not being insulting here. He's not saying you're a bunch of ignorant, you know, whatever. He's saying we don't want you to be ignorant about, about what this really means. We, want you, we don't want you to be uninformed. Paul knew that they didn't understand this, okay? We don't want you to be uninformed about those who are, how does it read? Asleep. About those who are asleep. Paul knew that they didn't quite understand this and that their ignorance or their, their lack of information was, th- was adding fuel to the fire of their discouragement. They didn't get it, so they were more discouraged. I would say this, that some of you, the, there's been fuel added to the fire of your discouragement that you're in right now because maybe you don't have a proper understanding of, of what's, what's in store for you as a believer, and you know, and, and again, I'm just as guilty as anybody about this. I can get so caught up in my problems, and they're real problems right now that I can lose sight and lose perspective. And so what Paul was doing was he's giving them information. Now, this blows me away. And I said this a couple of weeks ago, and it dawned on me, and I want you to think about this. Do we realize this, that God did not have to tell us any of these things? Isn't that interesting? Why did God want us to know these things? Why? What do you think the purpose is? It's encouragement. And I heard someone say it. Hope. Right? He gives us hope. Because let me ask you this. Is our world messed up? It's messed up. It's broken. And it's getting worse. He wants to give hope. He wants you to see life differently, that this isn't all that there is. Church, one of the things that I can say with certainty is there's many believers who are discouraged and have feelings of hopelessness and defeat because there's very little thought or understanding given to the finish line, the end of the race. 
There's ignorance there, and, 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 and sometimes that's our fault as your pastors that we've not preached enough on this for you to have proper perspective. And, and, you know, and so I want to be sure that we're bringing this to you, that you have hope as you look at what's ahead of you. Now, I, I mean, this is all about perspective is what it is. Paul's giving them perspective. Was there still pain that they lost their loved one? Yes. But there's a different kind of hope attached to it when you know that this isn't all that there is. Right. I mean, I was thinking about it this way as I was running my race and as I was really struggling and I was getting discouraged and I wasn't sure I was going to make it. If there was any ambiguity towards that finish line, whether like, you know, uh, what what it's going to mean, well, you're going to get to this finish line and you're still going to have to run a whole lot after that or whatever. You know, if there was no idea of relief or no idea of being able to be embraced and encouraged and hope and all of that. I'm going to tell you, at that mile 22, at that point, I might have just said, you know what, I'm checking out, I'm done, I'm not doing this anymore. But because I had an idea that there's more beyond the finish line than just actually finishing, that there's some glory that's there, there's encouragement, there's all of that, there's a, there's a sense of relief, I'm not going to have to run in this pain anymore. I mean, that's an incredible thing to think of, and that's what keeps us going. There's, there's blessing with that when you know that's on the horizon. So I think when we skip over all of these glorious passages that are supernatural, are they supernatural? Yes. You say, man, what you're talking about, preacher, is pretty supernatural stuff. Well, let me just say this. This is a very supernatural book, okay? And the fact that Jesus Christ came and lived, and died, and was raised from the dead. It's supernatural. And so it's also a supernatural thing to think of his coming for his church and his return. I get that, but I want you to understand, it's supernatural. Yes, it is supernatural. And so we don't want to rob you of this encouragement. Here's the second thing. We want you to be informed. The second thing that we find is that Paul describes, and I know this is going to be an encouragement for you, he describes the believer's death. The believer's death. This is a, just an aside, but he says in verse 13, it's powerful for you. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are, now how does he say it? What does he say? Asleep. About those who are asleep. The description of those who have fallen asleep is a metaphor that's used by many of the New Testament writers. In some of your Bibles, it might read those who have died, but in the original language, the word is koimao. It literally means to sleep. Um, it means to sleep in death. And what you'll find over and over again is, is whenever believer, a believer died, this word sleep was used to describe this. Okay, You'll find it on many occasions. One such occasion, Jesus, whenever Lazarus died, John chapter 11, then he said, this is what Jesus said, our friend Lazarus has fallen, what does he say, church? Asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. Now his disciples were like, what? Is he taking a nap? What? He said, knuckleheads, I'm going to raise him from the dead. That's kind of, he didn't say that, okay? But that's, I'm sure that's what he must have been thinking at some point, right? All right? Because they were like, you can't, you can't bring him out, Jesus. I mean, the King James says he's been in there for four days, and surely by now, I like the way the King James says it, he stinketh. You know you're dead, and you know you smell when you not only stink, but you stinketh, okay? That's big. The main truth here is 
is that when we go to sleep, why do they use the metaphor sleep? When we go to sleep, you have an expectation that you will get up, right? There's a reason why this is used. There's a, a very powerful reason why the word is used. It's, it's, there's a hope attached to it. I mean, I don't know that any of us go to bed at night and it's like, well, uh, see you later, <laughs> forever. You know, no, you say good night, see you in the morning, right? I hope you don't do that, okay? And, and here's what's so powerful. Here's what's so, listen to this today, my, my brothers and sisters, this is great, okay? When, for those of us who have had loved ones who have died, who have gone asleep ahead of us, here's what this means. Death, because of Jesus, has not had the final word. Amen? I mean, that's just greatness. It has not had the final word. That's why I know that when my family, when we still, yes, we still grieve, we still mourn the loss of my brother-in-law, we still grieve that, but our grief is different. It's different. Why? Because Jesus took the sting out of death. It's not final. You know, my brother-in-law's body that got sick was not Dan. It was, as Paul describes it, just his tent. Why does he call it a tent? Because it's just temporal. It's a folding up of the tent and Dan's spirit, when he died, immediately went into the presence of Jesus Christ because Paul said to be absent from the body, this tent, is to be present with the Lord. That body that has, is, is gone, that body is gone, but that is not Dan. And that's just so powerful for us to know. That brings us hope. It brings us encouragement. He wanted to dispel their ignorance. He wanted to give them a sense of hope. Now look at what he does. He defends the believer's hope. He goes on and he talks about this, that you may not grieve. You are going to grieve. We do get sad. We do mourn loss. We cry. We still cry over that because we miss him right now. But here's what we know. We know this. We're going to see him again. And that's coming. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have done what? Fallen asleep. My brother-in-law is in that group. Jill Malcolm's in that group. Amen? Some of you have lost loved ones. They're in that group. They're in the presence of Jesus Christ. He defends the believer's hope, and this ought to fire you up. Jesus has changed the permanency of death into something more temporal now that is called sleep. So you can be prepared, not what? Panicked. You don't have to fear death. He took the sting out of it. I believe that Paul gives us this promise you know, of the rapture, whenever in verse 15, he says, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, he says, okay? So the Paul's saying, this isn't just my opinion. This is a word from God that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Now, this was the good news to those, those people in Thessalonica. They were worried about their loved ones who had died before them, and maybe they had a parent that died in the Lord before them. Now, you need to know that this is very important, that they were in the Lord. That's very important, okay? This is for those who are in Jesus Christ, right? Those who have fallen asleep who are in Him, all right, is what He says, who are in Jesus Christ, 
And, and, and Paul comes along and says, you don't need to worry about them. You don't need to be in despair. Yes, you're going to grieve, but you grieve with a different kind of grief. You have hope attached to your grief. This is what you need to know. Those who have died before us are going to be caught up, he says, and, they, and then we who are alive and remain, we will then be caught up together with them. You say, well, why do they get to go first? I don't know. God said it's that way. I heard one preacher say it's because we know this, that they're... Uh, they have six feet further to go. So they get to go before us. Okay, I don't know. But Paul gives us the promise that our loved ones take precedence just ahead of us. And it's all going to happen in the twinkling, the, in just the twinkling of an eye anyway. It's going to happen so quickly. And so here's, what I, here's why I'm telling you this today. This isn't just stale, you know, just this stuffy, churchy, uh, just doctrine that has no relevancy for you today. It is important for us as your pastors to be sure you are grounded with proper doctrine because proper doctrine in your life is what brings you proper hope. Okay? That's why we want to preach these kinds of things for you so that you're grounded in your faith and so that when life comes and rocks your world, you have an anchor. And it's a hope that's found in Christ. Okay, so when we read in Scripture and we believe this in the depths of our heart, I mean, it impacts us in a great way. Paul gives kind of a chronology and an order of events. Just very quickly, let me give this to you, okay? He says there will be a return. Verse 16, for the Lord himself, he's not going to send angels to come get us, church. He's coming himself. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. He says he's coming. There will be a return. We have to get in our minds that Jesus is coming back. The, the New Testament first century church believers lived with an anticipation of the return of Christ, and so should we. All right? You say, well, it didn't happen for them. It may not happen for us, but we still need to be ready. We still need to be prepared. Okay, because it is going to happen. And then he gets into the specifics of, of sounds that we will hear as believers. We'll hear that cry of command from Jesus himself. There, some say there's three separate sounds. I don't know. Okay, I just know when I hear the sound, he gone is what I know. Okay, all right. And there will be a return. There will be this. Listen, a resurrection. And the dead, now what does it say? And the dead in Christ, did you see that? In Christ will rise first. In Christ, that's very important. This is not a resurrection for all who have died, just those who are believers. Scripture teaches in the book of Revelation that there is a, there is a judgment called the great white throne judgment that is coming much later on after the millennial kingdom when the dead will stand in judgment before the just God. But at this time, only believers will be resurrected. And listen, if you're a believer in Christ, you don't have to stand before him at that judgment seat. Jesus stood in your place. Isn't that great to know? He took your judgment and my judgment upon himself so we wouldn't have to be judged like that. There'll be a resurrection. There'll be a rapture. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be, what does it say? Caught up. Okay, you say, well, rapture, that word, I don't, I don't see that in the Scripture anywhere. Well, the word Trinity is not in the Scripture anywhere either, but we understand the concept of it, right? 
we see that it's there. Well, this word caught up, the Greek word is harpazo. It literally means here, it means to be taken away, all right? But where do we get the word rapture? The Latin description of it, the word is rapturo, okay? So that's where we get it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, or as some like to call it, 1 Corinthians, okay? Just kidding, all right? But that's, come on, you got to laugh a little, okay? That's funny, all right? We shall not all sleep. Some of you are like, what is he talking about? Current event last week, okay? Now, I love this, chapter 15. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. I told Liz that is a fantastic theme verse for our preschool nursery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed, right? Okay, you can use that. Great sign to put up for nursery in the, for the babies. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. That's faster than the blink of an eye. That is, that is the time it takes for light to reflect out of the back of your, your eyeball there. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable. And what this is speaking about is that that body that is, that is dead, that body, and it's decayed, right? And for some, it's been 2,000 years and others longer, right? That, that, that I don't know how it happens, but that it will be reunited with the Spirit, and this is called the glorified body. How does he do it? I don't know. He's God. I don't know. But this is called the, where he says they will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed, he says. He tells us there's going to be a return, a resurrection, a rapture. And I love this. And you're going to be encouraged if you've lost a loved one who's in Christ. There will be a reunion. You will be reunited. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Amen? We will be with them forever. There's going to be three, three reunions. There's going to be a, a reunion of the, of the dead body with the spirit for those who have preceded us in death. And we also, those of us who, if we are alive, we may also die before that time. But if we are alive, we will be translated into that. We'll be changed into that glorified state. Um, it's what scripture says. There will be a reunion with your loved ones who have preceded you in death. But most importantly, you're going to be with Jesus throughout eternity and with your loved ones, with Jesus throughout eternity. This small window of pain and suffering compared to eternity is just that very thing, a very small temporal time. Eternity is forever, where we will never be separated in that fellowship again. So why does Paul give these to these believers? Why does he give it to us today? Is this just a bunch of information for you and you don't go out here and do anything with it? He tells us why right here. Therefore, he says, all of this I just talked about. Therefore, he says, read it with me, church. What does he say to do? Encourage one another with these words. We're to encourage each other. We're encouraged when we read this. Why? Because like one of you said, there's hope. And the hope that we're talking about is not a maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. That's the kind of hope I had about, about running that race. No, this is a hope that is imminent. It's going to happen, all right? They're, these are life-changing words because they give us a whole new perspective on life. And, 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 and that those who don't know Jesus, it gives us a perspective of understanding. We have an urgency to share the gospel with people. 
so that they know this same kind of hope. So how does this affect us today? Here's your last thing right here, okay? We are to be, what are you to do with this today? We are to be looking forward for the Lord. You're to be looking forward, yes, for the Lord, not ignoring these things, but you have an eye towards heaven, okay? And how do we live right now? He tells us, Titus chapter 2, Paul says, we should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and what does it say? Devotion to God. While we look forward with hope, so that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. You look forward, but here is what we are to do. We are to be living right now for the Lord. Right now. We don't, we're not so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good. We have an eye towards heaven, but we are to engage the world right now. We are to plant churches so people hear about Jesus right now. Right, Ronnie? Ronnie's going to be going. Ronnie and Tiffany, we're sending them out. We're going to plant churches like it's nobody's business because people all over the world need to hear about Jesus, right? And so we have urgency to go to tell people this hope that you have. Don't you want your loved ones who don't know him to have that same hope? to be with you through all eternity. You say, well, is it going to be pre-tribulation, post-tribulation? I lean towards the first, but I don't know for sure. But here's what I'll tell you. If we miss that time of suffering, praise the Lord. We'll praise him. If we have to go through the time of suffering, we will glorify his name as we suffer for him. I love it. I'll close with this. Charles Ryrie said this. I love his approach and it's mine. Does it really make any difference when the Lord will come? Is it not his coming that is important? If his coming should be pre-tribulational, then we will praise him for the fact that we missed that terrible time. If it's post-tribulational, then we will gladly suffer for his sake. Either way, we still have the blessed hope of his coming. He's coming again. Are you ready? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the truth of your word that encourages our hearts today. Some of you who are discouraged today, I pray that you would just find encouragement from the Lord's word today. That you would know, yes, we don't want to minimize the, the struggle, the pain, the trouble you're in. It's real. But here's the thing, that if you are in Jesus Christ, this isn't all that there is. And I pray that he gives you a great perspective and that you're just encouraged today that you know that there's a finish line. Some of you, maybe you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm just saying that he came for you first and he died on the cross for you because he loves you. And he wants you to have this hope and he wants you to be with him through all eternity. If you've never trusted Christ, you call on him right now to be your savior. And scripture says he will save you. He's the Messiah. And every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I encourage you to make that declaration in your life today. Now there's this opportunity. He loves you. He wants to give you hope in your life and walk with you through your trials right now. Father, we bless your name. We eagerly await you. May we be found faithful your return. Should we die, Lord, before you return, we have the hope of knowing that we just sleep, that 
our spirit will be immediately in your presence. Father, today, thank you that you will call our name and that we will meet you in the air one day. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. And all God's people say, amen. I want you to